Hey there, my name is Linda Monaghan and it is my mission to help you grow your business, improve your life and find your calm, whatever that may be. Welcome to the Corporate to Calm podcast, where you learn from their experience. Hey there, you are very welcome to this episode of Corporate to Calm. I am speaking with Amanda Grace. Well, I think that's probably all I have to say. It's a long episode. It is worth every single minute you spend listening. Amanda is honest. She's true. And I got so much out of interviewing her. You're going to get so much out of listening to her journey from corporate to camp. Before we get into this episode of Corporate to Camp, here's a quick word from our sponsor. The Business of Social is a monthly online membership for creative entrepreneurs that simply want to find community and level up their online marketing. Those of you who know me well know I love to network. I love to create my own community. And the Business of Social is a community that I am proud to be a part of. So if you're a solopreneur, if you're working nine to five, and you'd love some access to social media marketing advice, tips, community of like-minded people to simply throw your ideas at and they can act as a sounding board then the business of social is the community for you whether you want to increase your instagram reach create that all elusive mailing list this is a community full of digital marketing expertise expert guest speakers it's a community you simply want to be part of you are interested in joining the business of social please head on over to their instagram at the underscore business of social all one word i'll pop it in the show notes you won't regret joining one you know you want to look up the courage click the button join the business of social hi amanda how are you hello linda how are you i'm great Samil. i am so pleased um, that he agreed to be a guest on the corporate camp podcast thank you thank you thank you i really appreciate you taking the time well i'm delighted i love talking uh i love talking listen like 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 the best of us love talking i can tell you yeah <laughs> yeah let's, let's dive straight into it tell me about you and tell me about tell me about your life pre-worthy, pre-Amanda Gray's co- coaching. Tell me what has led you here? Oh dear. Okay, <laughs> Open-ended so I, question. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you where, where, where here is first. How about yes. that? So, yeah, so, perfect. Okay, so where I'm at right now in my life uh, and work is um, I'd, uh, I'm a creative life coach. I coach brilliant, ambitious women. Uh, they're women who have big ideas, big visions, um, but they may probably play down their brilliance and their ambition a little bit because uh, as women of course we're conditioned to not think we're great and we're conditioned to take up as little space physically emotionally energetically and financially as possible so um, that is the work that I do now and it is now 2022 where this um, began professionally for me um was in 2009 where I left um I left what I had been working on so my father had a bar in Killaloo and I was essentially running that bar with my first husband wow I didn't realize that okay yeah Yeah. and um I you know it just it just was it was 
unfulfilling in a way I couldn't quite put my finger on at the time. And, um, you know, again, it was like me being me in that context wasn't fitting what I wanted to be doing and how I wanted to be with people. So the bit that did work for me was working with people and being with people. Only, you know, those people would arrive in one state and then progressively become less and less, uh, you know. Yes. (laughs) Less and less open to communication, let's say, (laughs) um, as the night went on, you know. Um, So anyway, I decided at that point, my my creativity has been a, um, a kind of a, a core theme through my life and something that I never really knew what to do with. Okay. And so at this point in my life, I ended up, I had this kind of secret desire to work with women on self-esteem and work with, um, yeah, I really, but of course it was a secret desire because I was like, well, who am I to teach about self-esteem, you know, because like, uh, I kind of I, I I felt like such an imposter. So where I started was my original profession was beautician. So I started doing hosting and 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 delivering nail art parties for young girls. And um, I would do like a festival or you know like local festivals or something like that. Mm-hmm. I had a little stand, and so I would invite the kids over and they I would do their nails and I would ask them about themselves and kind of and then that developed into a nail art party business that I called Girlwise. And I would go to the birthday girls house and do an art party, but I would kind of facilitate the girls through um or I would attempt to facilitate them through kind of like opening up to each other about friendship and you know what and and what it's like being a girl and uh, self-esteem and things like that. And I realized a couple of parties in, again, this imposter piece came up because I was like, who, who am I really to teach about this stuff or try and impart or, or instill confidence and self-esteem into little girls when I, I really don't have it myself. Right. So that yeah. led me to going to what was supposed to be a six week introductory course to counseling skills and psychotherapy because I was like uh sorry counseling skills because I also didn't have I I didn't know how to facilitate what I wanted to so I had this vision and I didn't really know how to go about it and that turned into a four-year degree in uh uh, psychotherapy (laughs) an an honors degree it also was the end of my pub days it was the end of my first marriage it was the breakthrough of my life in that it was the first time I was 34 then and so on my about page you know um I say I was I was 34 years of age the first time I met myself and I think up to that point in my life I had always been living my life from the outside in I there was two ways I described it to my therapist it was like one way was I felt like I was behind a pane of glass watching everybody else leading their life and just being terribly confused about how do they know what they're doing? Like what, where, from where inside are these decisions being made? Like I, I was at a, such a point in my life where I did not even know if I wanted my bread toasted or not. Like that was a crisis for me. I couldn't make a decision. Okay. Never mind about my happiness. But I could not decide whether I wanted my bread toasted. And also it would depend on who was doing the asking and how afraid of that person I was. Oh, I was very afraid of people, I thought. 
I thought I was afraid of people. But um, and I thought people what I, I say now is peopling is hard. Peopling is not hard. What's hard is being around people when you've no boundaries, when you've no sense of self, when you don't know who you are, what you like, what your values are, what you want, what's not OK. And when you think you have no choice but to go along and get yes. along. Yeah. And be nice to everybody and protect yourself from judgment. You become this kind of like what I called a human scanner. So I would walk into a room and this kind of like high alert, this hyper um, focus on what would be acceptable here. Like what parts of me are welcome here? And what do I have to hide about myself in this particular environment? As if I knew, like, I don't know how I thought I knew. But I would scan my environment for who I was going to be in this room. And that's why I had such. So I had clusters of friends who wouldn't. I was like different people with different. So I had cluster A and I would never put them with cluster B. I would just like I was living double, triple lives. I was yeah. a different person. everyone, And that's kind of like being. Do you know what that is? It's it's living your life from the outside in is you might know it as people pleasing. But what it actually is, is being a pathological liar. Hmm. And it becomes impossible then to remember or keep track of who am I in this group and who am I in this group? And and I can't put those two groups together because the parts of me that are welcome in this group are not welcome in that group. So it's this like fragmented self. And the stress of that eventually, of course. I was I was just going to say the energy that, takes from you Mm. and and the stress and the impact then is that you know at 34 years of age I ended up in a therapist chair actually not being able to speak for the howling that was coming out of me because I had I had pinned myself into such a corner I I had nowhere left to go I was just like I, I I don't know who I am like I have no idea it depends on who's asking and, and um, that was the beginning, let's say, of my um, and I was very, very I was going to say I was very lucky, but I actually did my research and and I, I chose I was very lucky in my choice of therapist because, first of all, I chose an area that was very necessary for me to like a good way in. So it was like I um, I kind of went I entered in through therapy through the door of eating disorder or in fact what I thought was I I didn't understand it took me about 16 months or 18 months I should say to actually accept the suggestion that I had a disordered relationship with food I thought that there was just this was what was wrong with me okay that I that I couldn't just control myself around food I thought that was something that was wrong with me but food was a uh, it was the raft I clung to in distress um, and distress being any emotion. <laughs> yes. So, you know, so, um, but she was also a creative practitioner. And at this point in my life, I was suppressing my creativity as well, because I thought that was something else that was wrong with me. I thought that was evidence of everything that was wrong with me because I had to do everything creatively, you know, and I had to, there had to be enjoyment in the work and there had to be expression in the work that I didn't and how I showed up and I thought that was wrong that that was just like because I couldn't do corporate you know that kind of way like it was 
<laughs> I was too messy of an individual. Um, so anyway, I was very lucky with the therapist that I chose in that she actually, she could see that asking me who I was, wasn't going to get us anywhere because I couldn't, couldn't answer it. My, I, I literally was like a deer in the headlights. So she started to get, she, she asked me to show me who I, who I was and she gave me the tools that really is my first language, everybody's first language, which is pencil and paper. Amazing. Yeah. And models. And that's how I broke through to meeting myself for the first time was through my creativity. Brilliant. Like, and to be honest with you, people listening, it's going to resonate with so many women, especially because oh, what yeah. you've said, what you've said there about being small and it's something that has just developed in like I've just been here and, and I find myself I've been saying create space over the past six months it's been about creating space and now it's about actually not create just making the space like taking the mm. space nobody has to rely on words with the work that I do we don't have to rely on on explaining yourself in fact we're, I'm tired of explaining myself aren't we all just tired of yeah. justifying explaining and trying to tell the world who we are or trying to tell ourselves who we are because we are too scared to show who we are yeah you know and um it's changed my life anyway you know and also to show who you are and, and I, have, I have a saying about you know so you're like what who are you before worthy uh, the answer was I didn't know yeah and um I what I what I've learned over so it was very interesting because those nail art parties were aimed at eight to 13 year olds yes. I was like why did I pick that age group yeah why do you think I picked that age group who was I really trying to talk to yeah yeah it was me yeah. You know, it was obviously that was the time in my life where I lost touch with my own something. I don't know. I can I can remember, you know, my first really becoming self-conscious at six. You know, that was when I became really self-conscious and shame conscious at six. I think my shaming began then, even though it began before that. I mean, my mother was churched after she had me. So hello, you know, and for anybody who doesn't know what churched means it's that when a when a woman has a baby and I say this not to um qualify in my language but back in the day a married woman has the baby in other words like there wasn't even you know this was like the uh you're allowed to have a baby when you're a married woman yeah. in the 70s uh but even a married woman in the 70s after she had children had to go and get forgiveness from the priest before she was allowed back into mass so you're shaming began in the womb you know my yeah. shaming began in the womb and um because I was born you know carried by a female and um so I say now that worthy is not a feeling it's an identity yeah that's what I've learned we're all trying to make ourselves feel worthy before we will show up as worthy and it's actually the other way around is that you have to show up as worthy and so it's an identity and that's the creative act you yeah. create identity tell me about worthy then tell me about because even this is such a new space for you as well because like 
I've been I've been following your journey for probably nearly two years now. And it, the evolution in two years, even for all of us, I suppose, because we've had a crazy two years, you know, we've been forced into situations that, you know, have been, you know, detri- detrimental to children, detrimental to women, detrimental to men. This evolution and this new, like you're, you, to me, you have evolved into this just powerhouse and I know that we use that phrase we we use that phrase very often for but it's it's true like you just that you don't care it's not it's not that it's just that I'm here this is who I am if you don't want unfollow unsubscribe you don't need to see it but this is who I am now and this is and and the whole the whole worthy. I mean, if anybody take take a look at Amanda's um, Instagram, it's it's super. It's such a powerful message. Yeah. It's and thank you very much. And it's so interesting to hear that witnessing of you know because when you're living it every day, when you you know you don't. It's kind of like for people people listening might have done the swimming during the pandemic, and we swam all year round, yes. right? Yes. And so the temperature of the water when you swim every day. People be like, oh, how can you get into that water? It's so cold. But you don't notice because you were swimming in July and you swam every single day. So now it's January. And that your body is acclimatizing incrementally. And so there is no shock to the system. But if you miss three weeks in December or something like that, or between October, September and October, you get in, you're going to feel that one degree and the shock happens. So that's I I love uh, I really do appreciate having that witnessing and reflected back to me because it's my everyday and my transformation feels so gradual but other people say wow it's really quite dramatic and there's a momentum here and something's happening and I had one person uh, message me on Instagram and she knows me in in um you know kind of like off Instagram let's say as well here and there and um, she said to me one day, she said, what am I seeing? This is on Instagram. She said, what is it? What am I seeing in you lately? There's just something. It's like I'm watching something being born or something coming to be. Something is happening. And I sent back to her. I said, what you're seeing is permission to change. Yeah, that's what you're seeing. And she sent me back those head blown emojis. <laughs> because over the last few years, that is, I see that the permission part is so big in giving myself permission, not even to change, but to change how I'm showing. Cause I'm not changing. I'm changing what, how I'm showing up. So yes. you're just seeing who I yes. really am more and more. It's not that I'm changing. I'm just dropping, shedding layers of protection and defense because I'm getting less and less scared of the outside world. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, what it has to do with me it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with me mm-hmm. whereas I made it to be like everything that it had everything to do with me everything had and it's very it's a, quite an infantile place to be but when you think about women's oppression like our our development and our you know like we have been oppressed in our development as such and it would keep you in a state of thinking that every look every glance every word spoken explicit or in, implicit that somebody else says in reference to me is about me and now I know actually it's not yeah very often 
it's whatever it is, is um, it's whatever, whatever you're saying or however you're choosing to view me is your choice. Yeah. That's coming from you. Um, I have a friend who's a 13 year old and the 13 year old turns around to her very, very often. And we've actually adapted the saying 13 year old. That's a them problem, mom, not a me problem. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. How is this child so, teaching me? I mean, you know, yeah, it's it's so exciting to see the generation come up ah. with that kind of, you know, access to such empowering role models ah, I mean, in every across the board. You know, it really is. It's fantastic. It's, yeah. it's very exciting to see. I'm what, just, you know, I'm what just like this kid that. is teaching me so much. It's 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 amazing. Mm. Um, yeah. tell me about the importance of being a coach and having a coach so here's the thing about coaching I I resisted that for quite a while let's say and and there is still like I was just uh, with um I spent the last two days in West Clare with some girlfriends and, and creative colleagues let's say um and I was saying to them I was like ah I still wince at the words you know the the, the title life yeah. coach you know yeah and yeah. because when you think of life coach you might I don't know whatever your experience of life coaching is but you might call to mind somebody like Tony Robbins or Mel Robbins this very Americanized productivity goal focused kind of energy you know that's very like you know I, I for me I when I think of life coach I just think of you know somebody who shouts at you and shames you for not you know doing the things you said you were going to do you know <laughs> like and I, I just had the thought of getting a coach was terrifying and becoming a coach I was like oh god no that's not me at all yeah so there's this very kind of like hustle and grind Americanized uh, association with coaching and in saying that you know I I had my first encounter with a let's say a different kind of coach uh let me say about five years ago or so and she was much more kind of like uh spiritually focused I guess Mm -hmm. you would say and inquiry focused and it was much more like therapy-ish but obviously not therapy but in terms of like the, the focus was inward as opposed to smashing goals you know um because to me that's it's a business coach that's like I don't identify those names that you've used as as life coaches, even though they're portraying. They, to me, they're about you achieving your business goals nearly, you know, and they're treating yeah. your life like a business. If that makes sense, that's what I mean. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. Yeah, there is this kind of like there's there's um, you know, like it's it's this kind of like twenty four hours in a day. What are you going to do with them? You know, like everybody has like the I, same twenty four hours. <laughs> kind of thing you know I mean and you're talking about like how men on LinkedIn or whatever you know the bare minimum is is applauded like there's there's one particular coach and in fairness to him he he gives great value on on, online and all of that but he does everything in shorts and a t-shirt like a like and no no shaving or nothing like just hairy muscles and I'm like a woman would never get away with that get never I saw I saw I was like what sort of algorithm am I seeing when I saw an advertisement and a woman is going, why I am teaching women why you need makeup in a professional environment. And maybe, and, and maybe you do, but maybe like, I'm not, you no, know, but absolutely. at the same but, time, it's like, 
but this you can guy show up in shorts and a t-shirt like it's exactly this guy mm. has not even it's not even a t-shirt it's one of those vests yeah it's a muscle vest yeah and he hasn't even I'd say he hasn't done his beard in months yeah now I just want to be very careful to say I'm, I'm not body shaming this no. person but what no. I am saying is showing up with hairy legs unkempt hair um un essentially ungroomed great the, the the muscle vest is clean at least but it, it does get under my skin because I think wow you've come straight from the gym and now you're out here you know like running a million dollar business and telling us one of the things that really got under my skin about it was one of the things he says was um how he gets more productive is that he eliminates the time between waking up and working and I was like oh my god toxic just what I just I, I don't so even toxic. understand he I don't even understand that eliminates the time basically what he was saying was that morning routines are for losers okay and I'm like oh okay um you know, white man with no children and no effort made and you're, you know, just automatically accepted that everything out of your mouth is valuable. Okay. No, no, no need for a morning routine. Fine. Do you know what I think is so funny as, cause you know, when I made that jump from corporate, I became a a health coach. So I just qualified as PT and then I, I taught Pilates because it was the quickest way for me to make money and yes that it was it was just that that was where I just had the headspace for because I'd I had a one and a two or actually a a zero and a one-year-old and I was like this is what I I just need something to focus on and I need something to get me through to Mm -hmm. feel worthy rather than showing up as as worthy as 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 you um say yeah and I'll say more on that yeah to untangle it a bit but go on but but it's it's like it's it's like um I see so many people you should you should you should and it's my, what I am trying to do is do what you want to do like it yes it's not there's no prescription for anything it's exactly this is your life and do and how dare somebody tell you that a morning routine tell millions that a morning routine is not worthy. It is infuriating. Yeah, and that it's like, you know, it's a, it's a crutch. And I'm like, yes, so what? So your, and your muscles are not a crutch. Yeah. Anyway, um, sorry, that, that's just <laughs> to digress, personally to offended. I'm personally <laughs> offended by this guy. But uh, yeah, I was digressing. And, and going back to this kind of like the, the, the coaching for uh, makeup in a corporate I'm not against that inherently. Nothing no. inherently is wrong. No. So great. Maybe you want that. Play the, you know, like sometimes it is worth playing the game. But anyway, yeah. So getting back to life coaching, I went on a bit of a rant there because I no, still, is it interesting what we call ourselves? Because my, you know, my background, yeah. I've never really been comfortable with, I've never had a title that, that just felt right to me. But anyway, life coach is the one I'm going with right yes. now. Yeah. So but having a coach for me five years ago was an absolute wake up call because right. of the questions that were being asked of me that were directing me to look at how I was showing up okay. in the world and how to read my own behavior as and, and also my own emotional life um, as a kind of an indicator as to what's going on beneath the surface in terms of what I'm believing about myself. And. 
it's also, you know, a coach who, like, I, I was lucky enough again to, to come across, like, I've, I had lots of horrible experiences before that, but I found somebody eventually who was like, who was able to hold me in love, but in a kind of a loving truth as such, you know, in that, like, my vulnerability and my shame didn't scare her. And so she was able to go beyond that with me and to bring me to different perspectives and wisdoms and even breakdowns and you know like just really walking me through the the house of mirrors that is your self-esteem and and your in your identity and what you are believing or how you are seeing yourself mm-hmm. and it's actually quite heartbreaking at times when you are confronted with the way that you've been seeing yourself this whole time and realizing how deeply impactful and traumatic that is in your life when you see yourself as somebody with no value mm-hmm. yeah. like I remember at one point in my life really like this is and I'll just say it because I, I know if I'm thinking it, I'm not alone but at one no. point no. in my life I remember I think it was in the early days of first getting married to my first husband and having the thought that nothing that could come out of me could possibly have any value and I was thinking about children. Like even if a, a child I would, pr- like I could only produce a, a, um, like a broken child. Or, you know, I was afraid of what kind of child might come out of me because I was so inherently broken. There was something wrong with me. Mm. Like that's a very painful secret to keep. Yeah. As in like, I'm afraid to have a child in case it, you know, inherits everything terrible about me, you know, or I don't, you know, I have to settle for this because it's the best I can do. And even at that, it's better than I should have. And and then there there's also like lots of trauma around consent and about trying to pay rent with yes. You know, um, oh, so that internal house of mirrors, who you are seeing yourself to be, you know, not worthy of, you know, like an organ. If I needed a kidney, that would have been the biggest crisis of my life to think that somebody else might be put in a position like such an inconvenience for me. And I'm being very dramatic in my examples. Yeah. But it actually is very dramatic. And on a, on a lower basis, like I remember my therapist saying to me something about the idea of shortchanging yourself. She said, you, you know, you're really good at shortchanging yourself. And I, even if you think about it, if somebody did shortchange you in a shop, unworthiness will just, you'll just suck it up. And be like, I, I don't have the confidence to even go back. An inconvenience mm. somebody who under who who, who shortchanged me. Mm. You know, I, I'd rather just let them keep the two euros or something rather than confront be in a situation where my shame is going to come up yeah. and swallow me whole. So, life coaching is what turned me back towards that. I think therapy taught me how to, let's say it was almost like triage and first aid. It got me out of the terror of it or the active trauma of it. Um, but then coaching allowed me to change my actual identity. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah, when you're, when you're going through that kind of self-confrontation, it's, it's really valuable to have somebody who has the compassion and the wisdom perspective um, to help you with that box of Christmas lights that you just can't untangle on yeah. your own. Yeah, and that's it. That that that's the 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 the, the analogy. Um, thanks for sharing that. That's yeah. It's 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 great to hear such openness and honesty because we just don't hear it. We don't hear it, you know. And um, I really appreciate that. Mm. You have been very open about your grief and the the loss of your dad. Do you think that has helped others? through not necessarily primarily helped others but through your coaching and how you are with your coaching now because you've gone through that grief or you know even discussing it on social media the impact that it has for people that it's kind of a sense of well I'm not I'm not alone like I'm not other people go through this yeah yeah one of one of the cruelest aspects of grief is you know when it calls to your door it does kind of like set you apart from everybody it feels like it's only happening to you yeah because you know the world just marches on like everybody gets up and goes to work the next day your your world has just uh, you know changed so dramatically and forever and um like everything can be so just rub just rub up against that wound like the thought that there's Con, you know like a concert going ahead or the pub is going to open and blah 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 so being on your own is a very um in grief is one of the cruelest aspects of grief and not having a slow space or a deep space you know or people um kind of sitting in grief with you like or treating you even with the kind of and I don't mean fragility but the tenderness that is required when a person is grieving you know because it's not like as if um like you know you often hear people say well if I broke my leg I'd have a cast and people are like, oh yeah right do you need a bit do you need a hand blah 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 but when your heart is broken and nobody has to die for grief to be in your life by the way yes but when yes. your heart is broken and you're walking through the world with a broken heart nobody can see that and so nobody's yeah. kind of coming in and saying do you need a hand you know like deciding which head of lettuce you want um, or which cabbage to pick. Cause you, you know the way you'd be standing there going, red apples or green apples? I, don't know. I actually don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so me talking about grief, like one of the privileges that I had um, having a, a dad who was loved and known by many was that we were not so alone in our grief that's in my next thing was like how I suppose you did share your grief with the with the nation and there has to be mm. pros and cons to that as well well there was uh, and just to give context to anybody who wouldn't know my, my father was Brendan Grace the the comedian here or entertainer I should say in Ireland so yeah the a nation grieved with us and it really it it gave so much uh, comfort to me anyway you know like the fact that on the day he died it's the biggest day in your life and the fact that there was new specials all day and everybody's, you know, kind of like that that outpouring and everywhere we went, like I went, um, he died in Galway and I, I was swimming in Black Rock all the time. And, and the morning he died and that it was announced, I went swimming. I was sitting in the car at Black Rock when it was announced on the radio. 
And so I went for the swim. And when I came out, there was people all around me talking about Brendan Grace. And when I went for coffee, there was people talking about Brendan Grace. And so they were lamenting and and mourning him. And I was just being carried in that sea. And that was so, so um, lovely for us. So I can't think of a con, to be quite honest. Um, I love that. I love that. Yeah. It was funny, you know, because it was one of the things as a, as a child and a younger person and, and even as an adult sometimes that sharing him with people sometimes was okay. hard for me. You know, like we'd be having dinner, people would come over and they'd literally like, you know, be like, sorry now, sorry, sorry for interrupting your dinner. Brendan, my nana. And, you know, and you, I'd be like, for God's sake. Would you? But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, but, you know, so like, um, but in 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 death, it was it was just so beautiful. But yeah, I I did a lot of so again the expressions. We myself and my friends who just spent a few days in West Clare, we went to St Bridget's Well. There's a beautiful shrine there, and St Bridget's Well in the scanner, it's full of prayers and everything. And what I said to them is like, grief is an expression. It needs a place to be expressed, and so you know, I I expressed a lot of my grief online. Um, and just in writings that I shared and photos that I shared. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it really did. Um, I know that some people were grateful to have words put. Yeah. To experiences that maybe they're not used to putting words to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, grief, grief is an expression. Yeah. Um, we are lucky in Ireland in a way that there is, you know, there is at least a a reverence still for grief and mourning you know yeah that we do take that time to to think about the people that we've lost the Irish are good yeah yeah move, move on so good. quickly yeah 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 and moving on from from one subject of grief to the next of sobriety god we're we're we're, we're really kicking yeah. we're kicking all aspects I know, talk of- about grief like sobriety is like grief on steroids <laughs> Friday's <laughs> the grief you never expected yeah um yeah so yeah for, for like I'm I'm I think I'm I'm in day, day 210 and um, Amanda's on day a zillion of um sobriety so you're five months last July five years five years five years <laughs> meant, yeah and I, I, I say I, years I, yeah it's five years last I, July yeah, it was five years in July, and I recently just count because I did. I I tend to not. I know the date. I know the date or whatever. Yes, but I did just count it, and I actually broke it down, and um, I calculated that what I because of my sobriety, I have not smoked thirty eight thousand and eighty cigarettes. That was a wonderful post, by the wasn't way, wasn't it? Yes, it was mad. Like when I looked at it, because sometimes. Again, like what I was saying about when you're going through something, it's such an incremental, gradual experience that your perspective, you don't, you know, it's looking back and seeing how far you've come. It's a worthwhile thing to do because, again, as women, we're not great for giving ourselves credit. And we're like, gosh, that's nothing, you know. I just... And also, when you have this kind of unworthiness thing, it's like, well, if I did it, it can't, it can't be much. It can't be of much value. It can't be much of a success it can't be that big of a deal if I did it so yeah I calculated it Linda and between in the last five years I was spending uh per year uh or sorry over five years I calculated that cigarettes alone 
was 22 grand. If I'd have kept smoking the way I was. Stop. Yeah. Eight grand on vodka, 10 grand on wine. And that does not account for um, taxis. That doesn't account for, you know, like um, the, the, the various predicaments I got myself in medically and legally. I ended up in hospital and in court over my drinking. Um, like 40 grand is what I've not spent on hangovers, like aggravating anxiety and depression, all the drama that comes with it in your relationships, the insecurity and the shame that I was um, masking very well with my don't fuck with me, fuck you all kind of attitude, you know, like I'm a mad bitch kind of attitude that I had the, you know, completely ignoring the fact that I was under earning, under um, valuing myself completely in denial about bulimia um and in the five years since it's not that I haven't not saved or not spent that money that money still you know has been I've parted with it but like I have spent that money so I used to spend money destroying myself yes self-destructive on self-destruction and now it's on self-creation yes. invested in coaching yeah. personal coaching business coaching I invested in you know things that build me up and yeah yeah I love it and talk to me about like when you made that decision mm. because from my own experience um not too many people are happy when you make that decision. That and now, not that we care what people think, but it's oh, it's amazing how something that you're doing for you mm. impacts so many other people, or they think it impacts them. Mm-hmm. Um, I I had somebody tell me that I was going to ruin their night by me not yeah. drinking. I believe it. I used to proudly declare that I didn't trust people who don't drink I used to say that proud as punch I'd go around and thought I was thought I, I was better than everybody because I was like fucking drip so um but like that it was a bravado you know yeah but yeah of course life life will change I've been I've been lucky in that regard too really in that um my the context of my life was already changing. Yes. Um, you know, kind of like coming out of the closet as an artist as such, put me in touch with creative community. And within that creative community, I was actually connected to sober community. Would you believe creative sobriety? Like a, a there's because everything now is, is intersectional, which is great. So I had a friend or sorry, a, um, it's just so strange how how these decisions that you make for yourself so these decisions so I'll give you just an example of how I started was about the idea that women are afraid to take up um physical emotional and financial space so when I realized that my creativity was kind of like just part of the package of me and I I was like I just have to stop suppressing it and trying to pretend like as if I can separate myself from from this I can't it's who it's the part that comes with me and it's how I operate in the world I wanted to go to this retreat 
that was happening in Bantry. And this was about 2013 or 14. And the very first thought was, sure, I can't follow that. Or I can't, you know, I just couldn't bring myself to, and I, I'm doing bunny quotes here, spend that money on myself. It was so, it was just the, the unworthy piece. It was like, I am not worthy of this, taking up this financial space in our relationship. Um, but I did it, right? And that was 2014. That one decision connected me in with a network of creatives who in 2015, one of them connected me with a sober creative. And it was kind of like aligning with her and her community and hearing about the sober life um, from in a way that was very relatable to me. Mm -hmm. And um, she had a podcast and um, I listened to the podcast. It was called the Unruffled Podcast. And I listened to that along with other podcasts on sobriety. And so when I make the, made the decision, I felt like I had somewhere to go. Mm -hmm. So I had community. So again, the context of my life, it wasn't so jarring in that I knew sober people and I knew very happily sober people. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't a sacrifice. In fact, the sacrifice was over now. I'm yeah. done sacrificing. Yeah. So. The decision and also intersectionally speaking, my mental health was at a point where sobriety, like not drinking was a a life-saving measure. You know, it was a mental health decision and it also just took so much energy off the table for me because of the trying to moderate it and the will I drink and won't I drink and I sure I'll only have one or maybe I'll have two or I'll only drink wine or I'll only drink the, that shite all ended with that decision. And I remember the exact moment I made the decision. And along with that decision, I decided that motherhood was not for me. I was not going to continue down the road of motherhood and that I was going to meet my maternal needs through teaching and facilitation of women. Yeah. And so that was, a, I call that clarity at the crossroads. That was the crossroads at 41 years of age. And I made those kind of like three decisions all at once. Um, and they all worked out very well. <clears throat> and I've never, I've never had to white knuckle it with alcohol. It was a very clean decision. I've only made the decision once. Uh, interestingly, I was in a situation recently where I found myself wanting to drink. And what I know from reflection about it is that I was keeping company. That you need to be drunk to be in. And I was like, okay, but I was making myself forcing myself to be in the company because we've known each other for so long yeah and so I could I actually was like I could hear my brain going I should just have one be grand it's like just what fuck it like and I was like holy shit I have not heard that voice in a long time yeah so I realized only this is only a couple of weeks ago I was like uh, okay there's a boundary now that I yeah that needs to go down I had um a couple of friendships that didn't survive the sobriety mm -hmm. and I'm okay with that yeah you know I, I love and I, I like personally I'm I'm just absolutely taking loads from this um mm. because it's such a hard decision to make I I made the decision four years ago it took me four years ago to stop four years to stop oh I believe it was seven for me yeah I found a diary belonging to myself because I'm an, I'm a prolific journaler and so the therapist that I talked about, the first therapist that I went to, who was the creative therapist, 
I found an old journal from when I started that journey and about page three or four in the journal I had on the top of the page reasons to stop and I had a list of reasons that was 2010 wow and I was trying to convince myself to stop drinking now I was 2018 and I didn't stop because I was afraid of what people would think of me yeah yeah that was 100 percent and I remember on March 11th, I was sitting in Lanzarote and I remember I took, I had, a, I went out, I had a great day with my sister and my husband and her husband had four glasses of wine, which was only a little tipple, like um, watching the sunset, went for dinner and had a pint after dinner in a bar. And I remember drinking the pint going, this is my last drink. Wow. And I told people that I was taking a break for 50 days. I wasn't taking a break for 50 days, but it yeah. was easier to tell people that. Of course. Yeah. No funny. No. Yeah. It's personal. Yeah. It really it's is funny. a personal decision, but it's, it is. It's a really weird thing. You know, it's like mm-hmm. saying, you know, I'm not, I'm a, it, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's so integral to identity. It's almost like saying, you know, I'm not going to, um, I don't know. I'm not going to go to mass anymore. Back yes. to the, like, oh, what do you mean you're not going to mass? It's just something we just do. We just do it. None of us like it. Like we just we just do it because it's the done thing. It's, you know. The freedom I feel from not going to mass. Oh. I still I still feel that freedom. Thirty years later, isn't that bizarre? Yeah. From not going to mass. Yeah, I feel it in relation to school. Even though I'm a lifelong learner, I still every like I every Sunday night I'm like nothing to do. No essay. <laughs> the panic. The Glen Rose team. The Glen Rose team yes. isn't in the background. <laughs> no Glen Rose for me, thank you. Isn't that such a wonderful space to be in though? Is that I yeah. I can Yeah, sobriety never gets old. When when you you know when it works when it's working for you. Yeah. It really does. It never. And the irony is, I can go on a pub crawl oh, yeah. if I want to, countrywide. Yeah. One of the biggest perks for me is I can drive everywhere now. Yeah. I can. I no no taxis. No worrying about how we get there. How we do, no concern about you know. I'm not having to police uh, the drinks situation. Oh, none of that shite. And yeah. we were at um. My husband got us tickets to go to Garth Brooks recently. Yeah. And so going to a gig, I didn't go to the toilet once. I know. No drama with the bar. No who's around is it. I was just there having a night and I was shocked actually with the amount of very, very, very drunk people around us. Yeah. And like there was there was one couple beside us and I calculated they must have spent about 200 quid on drink alone just at the gig. Yeah, and and following each other around another another couple around the anyway, it's not even funny. But look, it's yeah, so it's it's like that culture shock. I haven't been in the water for six months or whatever, and then I dived in at a gig, and I was like, holy shit, everybody here is locked, and that was all normal. Yeah, I'd have been one of them. Yeah, probably being carried out. Right, I, 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 I remember. The biggest thing for me, and I knew I was like, and my uh, my sister would be topping my drink up in her house behind my husband's back because he would want to go with our two kids. And I'm trying to get my last drink in. Oh, I know. 
I know the shutters oh, coming down the bar. It's just awful. Yeah, I, I hate that I, shit. I really. I know. Just so I'm just. Anxiety. It's it's bizarre. Like how it's yeah. just freedom. It's freedom. Mm. Now, could I could I also just say what that was for me? Just to put a word on that. So that kind of like trying to get the last squeezing the last bit out of the bottle or the bars, the dread of seeing the bar closing. What I discovered was it was a, a form of, so one of the things that I'm still to this day, because while I'm sober five years from alcohol and cigarettes, emotional regulation is still a thing. Emotional yes. processing, emotional yes. intelligence. And what was happening with me and alcohol was anything that changes my mood, I'm going to struggle with because, you know, you're on the high. It's the, it's the terror of that high coming to an end. Yeah. Or it is the, and, and it's like trying to milk, you know, like just trying to stave off the next part yeah. or the, the, the gear shift of mood or feeling the sadness of the bar closing or the disappointment of the night coming to an end. Like, wow, so much of it was about, emo- I mean, it was all about emotional regulation. And I can see now because I'm knocking on the door of food in my life, let's say, because that's another way that I regulate. Yeah. And um, I I know that I'm getting close because I, my brain is starting to be like, just have a cigarette. It's trying, it, it, it's sensing that there's another crutch. Coming and, that, under. and I've been very open, like I've just switched my craving for alcohol for sugar like in the last six months it has just flipped and I'm dealing with that now but I it's dealing with why you know not what is going in your you know it's the emotion of why is that going in your mouth and it's so it's so interesting it's so interesting because it's the deeper we go the more answers we get like absolutely and I know that I never, ever, ever could have gotten to this point as long as alcohol and cigarettes were in there yes. complicating the situation. So that was masking something. And here's the irony of all ironies is that I'm so much more sensitive. And I think that that's what I've been hiding my entire life. It's my sensitivity was shamed at some point. Yes. And it's, it's also my superpower. Yeah, it's my sensitivity. It's it's the reason I have a baby kitten in my lap right now. <laughs> rescued off the road yesterday. Yeah, put, you know, put, 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 put him up to the we'll camera. Take, yeah, we'll give, take a, a, give, a, give a little put him to the camera. <laughs> so this is Ario. I named her Ario. So Ario was rescued yesterday by the side. And, you know, like it's like having that, having that big heart soft heart a love for people a love for animals a love for life just having a big appetite for life yeah yeah it's and it's, having that shamed yeah and and that's the thing because we can always go back I always say to um I had a huge rejection in business about two months ago and I was just like I put I I just was like I, I I share everything on social media because I find that is great therapy as well because you have to be honest about the good and the bad because it's not all good, good all of the time no. and I feel when I get rejected I feel like I have been dumped by my first boyfriend between Christmas and New Year in 1996 and that's mm-hmm. what I go back to and that's the feeling I go back to and I'm like yeah 
haven't seen him in, in 20 years. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But it's yeah. understanding that that's not where you are and just dealing with that. But it's so, that's the, that's the feeling. It's, it's, it's really for people just to understand that it's, it's all back to something that has happened before. Yeah. And learning. And interestingly, emotion happens in the body. And women have been terrorized out of their bodies since we were kids. Yeah. So it's none of our fault that we don't know how to be with energy in our body. Yeah. You know, that thing that, you know, because the, the body that we've been taught to and conditioned to treat as the enemy. Yeah. The and that's it. Tamed to be controlled. Um, and so uh, the minute an emotion is running right in there, you're just like, get the fuck out of you know, yeah. just sedated yeah. in some way, you know, yeah. it's like, I don't know what to do with this. I heard, I heard a statistic during the week. I don't know if you heard it on the mute and it was talking about, you know, this whole thing now, everybody is, it seems every second woman in their thirties or forties has been diagnosed with ADHD because it wasn't diagnosed as children because people were focused on the lads because the lads went mad. And the girls stayed quiet with ADHD mm-hmm. to mask it. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. Absolutely yeah. fascinating. Oh, yeah. That Absolutely. we are. We're just, and as you say, you're, you're, you're put in a box to stay quiet. And that's what these, you know, that, that's where this has gone. What do you do to switch off for you? What do you do? I know you, you mentioned sea swimming. What, what else do you do for you to kind of take your mind out of, business Mm. and and well my my most powerful um medicine is music so big music fan um when I say fan sorry a big um listener to music so I I, that's very very important to me um nature is another one I absolutely love nature and that could be anything from you know actually actively being out in nature or just listening to birds or the wind or the or the rain anything like that so silence actually is um I adore silence um and then um I watch documentaries love yeah. documentaries and I, I'm a real YouTube wormhole person um and then interestingly you know again without the alcohol in my life it's like I, I am trying to figure out not trying to figure out but I'm asking myself the question like how do I used to have fun like how do I have fun you know redefine my relationship with fun yeah, because yeah. um what do you do for fun yeah. as an adult yeah when it's not you know when that kind of like messing around yeah. horsing around the pub is is over uh, obviously I have my creativity podcasts um, I'm, I haven't swam in a long time, but I did with everybody else in the pandemic, did a lot of, um, lake and sea swimming. Um, and then the bath, essential oils, Epsom salts, candles, music, yeah. bath, bath is my, and coming into the winter now, I'll do it more often, you know, they just cocoon in the bath. So yes. I think that, yeah, that's kind of my thing. It's not easy to switch off. Yeah. Yeah. And when, and I suppose when you're creative, it's innate in you. You're always thinking about creativity. Uh, Yeah. Well, I, I definitely have that. Um, I, I did go for a diagnosis, but other things came up in the meantime. Um, 
I got a PMDD, finally got a PMDD diagnosis in the meantime. So I was, but um, yeah, the the ADHD thing and the dopamine seek, seeking my brain, actually reading a very interesting uh, book at the moment called The Craving Brain. But um, yeah, the brain is always on. Yeah. Always going. And part of it is about learning to live with that. Um, and part of it is about learning how to stimulate my brain, yeah. give it the stimulation it, it, it it's craving. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm learning all these things. Yeah. But as far as creativity is concerned, have you anything for, I mean, the creatives that are the creators that are listening or the non-creators, what would you suggest? Like if you, just for somebody mm. that, for somebody that is like listening on our Jays is, Great, what yeah. like you know what would you say to them to to so, do to okay so here's what I would love for everybody to know especially if they have creative leanings because there's always this kind of like um the, there's this ongoing narrative or, or pressure in the background the minute you produce anything creative people are like oh, you could sell that and so like <laughs> you know like this is this like call to productize your creativity or to monetize or or, or make it useful in somewhere, do something with it. So what I want everybody to know is that there are two types of art. There's art for sale and then there's art for self. Yeah. And what I teach, or sorry, what I used to teach at least is art for self. Yeah. And that is art for the sake of arting and literally just, um, and it doesn't even have to be arting. I mean, you can just journal, like write and you can get, um, like I teach, um, there is a, if people want to sign up for my newsletter or, or, or anything like that, I do have a, some stuff I can get, just reach out to me and send me a personal DM. I don't well, know what I'll right do now. is I'll put a link and um, send me a link to your newsletter and I can put it in the, the notes. Yeah. Cause I, I don't have anything on my site right now that I'm selling that would be creative. Yeah. But, but what I'm saying is that like, it, it could be anything. I mean, dressing the table a certain way is a creative act. Allow your creativity to come out in, in, you know, the lipstick you choose, the earrings that you wear, the nail polish that you yeah. wear. Like it doesn't have to be Da Vinci or end up in a frame yeah. or even in a sketchbook. How I shape my, uh, my spaces here, you know, like I, um, display things creatively um your creativity can be you can tickle your creative fancy in just how you present yourself yeah. and your spaces in the world you don't have to be making anything yeah you know absolutely have you anything so we briefly talked about um your worthy project what 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 you tell me about it and is there anything else on the pipeline coming up for you well, I have um right now I'm I'm working exclusively one to one okay women. Yeah. And so life coaching one to one with women. Once a month, um well I'm hoping it will be once a month. Um I'm doing a master class of some kind teaching something relative to um the journey of or the work of worthiness, you know, um owning your worth and healing the shame. Um and so tonight for example I have um I have one of those master classes. I it's a ninety minute master class, and people will learn about the worthy cycle and the unworthy cycle, and how to tell when you're in either of them, and how to build a bridge between them, so that when you're in the unworthy cycle and you're just spiraling in shame, you can recognize it, and then 
use the protocol that you've developed to get out of it and back into worthy and build that momentum instead of the, the spiraling downwards. You can start to spiral outwards, I should I, uh, I suppose, in worthiness. Um, and I may probably make that available for purchase afterwards as a standalone yeah. thing. That's what I would probably do. But right now, um, I'm exclusively working one-to-one, but I do a regular newsletter. I do a regular, I'm always on Instagram, a lot of stories. I have coaching in my highlights on Instagram. Okay. So yeah, so every weekend I offer people the opportunity to ask me anonymously, ask me questions anonymously and I'll coach, I'll offer some coaching in my stories and then I save them all to highlight reels. So you can do that too if you want to ask me questions. I can give you some resources or insight or something that way. Um, everybody is welcome to have what I call a worthy conversation with me. So rather than it being just a consult, it's an invitation to have a conversation that you are worthy of. Mm-hmm. It may or may not result in you wanting to coach with me. Um, and it doesn't need to result in that. You're worthy uh, of that time. Mm-hmm. And people are like, I don't want to waste your time. And I'm like, well, it won't be a waste of my time. And um, because you're worthy of the conversation of just even asking the question, how could coaching work for me? Could it? Yeah. Um, you know, and maybe the answer is no. Yeah. And no is not a problem. Yeah. No, no is a complete sentence, isn't that what they? Yeah. And it's also not a problem. I think mm-hmm. as women, we're used to being punished for no. Yeah. Yeah. It's really really damaging you know so no is not a problem I will love you after the no um tell me something is there is there something not a lot of people know about you <laughs> oh be Jesus um I I'm sure there is um well what kind of thing like what, what kind of thing do you do is there to know about you that not many many people know give me a bit of a um what kind of thing is there to know about me that um <laughs> I I love I I I will eat every single food in the world apart from liver. (laughs) (laughs) Something that's (laughs) very good. You'll eat it. What and what is it? Is there a reason it's not like the taste? No, I just oh, I just hate the hate the taste of liver. I hate it, and uh, it brings me back to my 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 dad loved it, and we had to have it as a dinner at least once every two weeks when we were kids. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's here's something that maybe um so I don't know if this is a um talent or if Oh yeah, can, yeah, I love it. Or, or what? Okay. So, uh not what not many people would know about me is that I can watch somebody speaking on mute and I can tell whether they are American or um I I can I, I can see an accent on the, on the lips for some reason. I don't know why. So I, I can tell if they're American or English or Irish. And sometimes when I can't tell, it turns out that they're Australian or something like that. Okay. But I, I can, for some reason, distinguish just by the movement of somebody's mouth what accent they might have. Very interesting. I love that. And very unique. Very unique. Um, Amanda, at Corporate Acam, we're about creating our own happiness and taking risks to create happiness, whether it's in 
a career or in life what would you say to somebody who is has just had the fear and hasn't taken a leap that they want to take what would I say to them Mm. here's what I'd say is um (laughs) you're gonna die (laughs) (laughs) no seriously no I'm just being dramatic no but um especially having um witnessed my father's final days and um the importance of being true to yourself the importance not only for you and your life so when your family is sitting around in the you know and you're on your way out the peace that it gives your loved ones that you have peace in your heart like that is you know again it's like it's not about us all the time so an unhappy person you think that especially women we think I can't please me because that's selfish and actually it is the greatest gift you can give to other people is to heal yourself and to to own that worthiness and do the thing that you want to do and die with peace in your heart and happiness in your heart having lived the story you want told about you that you were true to yourself right to the end um because that contentment at the end of life is the greatest parting gift you can give your loved ones and i feel very strongly about that is that somebody who leaves with regret always you know that kind of like i I should have is that 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 adds to the sadness really does so it's a gift your healing is a gift it's it's hard to it is hard to make the decision when there is a voice in your head saying but you can't because but think don't think of what you lose in the short term think of what there is to gain in the long term because you do not get another shot at that that's it in a nutshell um, every week I have an either or a quick fire either or so putting you under a little bit of pressure um, and we go to your coffee coffee Dublin or Claire Claire a podcast or a book a podcast about a book <laughs> I'm joking a sea swim or a bath so hard bath cat or a dog ah stop <laughs> cat or a dog cannot, cannot. <laughs> teaching or learning teaching because teachers also get to learn that's very true and winter or summer winter winter and um, is there anything else that you'd like to share I think I've shared enough. Shared a lot <laughs> and I love it. And thank you so much. Where can people yeah. find you? Where can people find you? So the 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 place I am most is Instagram. And on Instagram, I am amandagrace.ie. Okay. And that is also my website, which is kind of in draft mode at the moment. So I really only have a landing page. But through that landing page, you can book a worthy conversation with me. Um. That's the best place. The Instagram's the best place to come to find me right now, and you'll have um, access to me. You can DM me, love chatting to people. You can book the call through there. You can look at my highlight reels of the coaching. You can ask me, ask a coach. 
Love it. Comment, Love it. engage, all that. Thank you so much for being a guest yeah. on Corporate Cam. I really appreciate you being so honest and telling your story. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you, Linda. It's fabulous talking to you. And I can't believe this kitten actually slept the whole way through. I <laughs> beautifully. I'm a very good kitten mommy, I think. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to the Corporate Cam podcast. Please subscribe leave a nice review. It really does make a difference. Or simply come back and listen to us next time. My name is Linda Monaghan, inspiring you to take that leap from corporate to CAM.